and welcome back to a very special episode of InCheck with Fintech, or shall we say InCheck with Diversity in Fintech? Today we have the absolute honor to host three powerful women from the Fintech space. Didia Koenig, CPO at Solaris Bank, Alex Gassner, CEO at ACI Diversity Consulting, and Leila Kasim, SVP of Operations at Lemon Markets. This is the first episode of a three-part series with them where we talk about Futura, Solaris Bank's network for women in fintech, diversity and inclusion within the market, and the challenges faced in regards to that, unconscious biases, and much more. Enjoy listening. So welcome everyone to a very special episode of In Check with Fintech, uh, in which I will be talking to Leila Kasim, Alex Gessner and Delia Koenig about diversity, specifically within the fintech space, um, where diversity, I think, is, uh, as is the case across general tech, much needed. Um, looking at gender diversity specifically, we see that, for example, currently across the fintech industry, only 30% is female and only 15 to 20% of all leadership positions are held by females. 16 women in the world are the sole founders of over 1,000 of the best funded fintech companies. I found that quite shocking. Um, and female founders compared to male founders are less likely to receive fundings or additional funding, even when they are pitching similar ideas, largely due to unconscious bias, which we'll talk about today. Whilst the benefits of having a diverse workforce are researched far and wide, uh, Forbes recently revealed that diverse teams deliver 60% better results and make better decisions in 87% of the cases. Diversity, however, is not new though. It's been around since the 1960s and comes from the civil rights movement. But specifically for fintech, I think it feels like it's gone from a checkbook exercise to an actual realization of the benefits of having a more diverse workforce and the rise of a new movement, which we'll talk through and with today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. What an introduction. <laughs> I wanted to say like a hell yeah in there. You oh, know? And amen. <laughs> I love the cheering on. That's a good start. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mentioned the names, but maybe good to uh, get a do a quick round of introductions of uh, the guests themselves. Um, I'll start on my left. Leila. Thank you very much. Um, hello, everybody. A pleasure to be here. My name is Leila. I am currently the SVP of operations at Lemon Markets. Feels very good to say that. It's the first time I say that out loud. Um, formerly with my wonderful Solaris colleagues here, I was the chief of staff at Solaris. Started there as the head of strategy, have held former positions as a consultant and also started my career in New York as an investment banker and as a researcher. Great. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. A Alex. I'm Alex. My pronouns are she and her. I am COO at ACI Diversity Consulting, which I also say for the first time. Right. <laughs> and before that, I was a VP at Solaris. I've been in banking and finance for about 13 odd years here and there at Amex and other other companies. And I started my job in, in Brighton, actually, in the UK. Not as cool as New York, but... <laughs> Brighton's pretty cool. <laughs> Brighton's pretty cool. <laughs> I think you have a background in gaming, right? So for those who want to learn more about Alex's background, listen to a previous episode of our podcast with Jacqueline. Thank uh, you for that plug. Welcome, <laughs> Alex. No problem. Uh, Delia. Yes, um, I'm Delia, CPO at Solaris, so still there. Uh, always had the pleasure to work with uh, the wonderful women who introduced themselves before. Um, also before that, always in, in finance and tech. Um, so I very much know the, the double trouble of the fintech uh, space uh, that we're talking about today. Um, yeah, really looking forward. Great. Oh, excited to uh, have you all here and uh, yeah, talk a bit more about diversity. As uh, Leila kind of uh, um, uh, hinged towards, was uh, you were part of a movement, I would say, at Solaris, uh, which is Futura. 
um, which is now uh, only Dahlia. I think you're the uh, sole rider uh, at the moment of uh, <laughs> holding no, down the fort. <laughs> <laughs> Would you mind maybe Dahlia, as you're still there, give us a brief, brief recap for the listeners what Futura sure. is. Yeah, um, I love that you called it a movement. Uh, I, I feel that this is describing it very, very well. Um, and actually, this movement was started by Alex um, three years ago, roughly. So um, in summer slash autumn 2020, um, we kicked off basically an initiative that that we call uh, Futura now, which is aiming to attract, um, retain, develop uh, female talent within Solaris. Um, why did we do that? Because obviously we saw that um, not only at Solaris, but actually in the entire fintech space, um, there is a big gender gap. So our mission was really to shake that up and to make the entire industry aware of that issue and uh, try to <laughs> try to improve it there are pictures taken of me at the same time so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. no worries um so yes we kicked that off um and we really wanted to have the buy-in of like the senior management of the entire company to really push um push this initiative forward and created the movement um now we had a lot of um streams, initiatives, events to really to really push that agenda, um, always accompanied by very strong, um, yeah, like a lot of reporting around all of all of these different initiatives. So what we really want to do is um, hold ourselves accountable for our one very explicit objective, which is 30% women across all the levels within Solaris. And uh, yeah, this is basically something that uh, that we kicked off back then um, and that we were continuously working on um, all the time, basically. And you said Soul, uh, Soul Rider, of course, there is a big community also within Solaris still there um, who is really, really making sure that that we're like keep keep holding ourselves accountable to to that goal and, and pushing it forward. Shout out to Magda. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Very much. And I think one thing to, that's worthy of note to mention there is the reporting that Delia mentioned. We are one of the, well, we formally, um, <laughs> one of the few companies in fintech, I think the only company in the fintech space that actually does issue a report on itself, which I think really is a, is a practice all companies should follow because it creates a great deal of transparency. And again, coming back to the accountability point, it holds us to a higher standard. So uh, Lemon Markets, shout that might be coming your way. <laughs> yeah, and this was really the hope that we can like ignite this also within the industry that yeah. more companies out there, more fintechs, more banks are, are doing doing this um, voluntarily. I mean, a lot of mm. banks already have to, right, when they're listed, but none of the fintechs really have to. As Solaris is a first mover in that space and that counts towards our goal of not only doing stuff within Solaris, but we want to shake up the wider fintech space and the fintech gender gap because unfortunately Solaris is a very good company when it comes to not a very good ratio. <laughs> <laughs> maybe before we get into what you have achieved, uh, Alex, as the founding mother, maybe an, an obvious question, but why did you start it? 
Why not? I was quite, <laughs> I was uh, probably quite, uh, I don't know, why did it have to be me? I wish we'd had this 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but the time is ripe when the time is ripe, right? And there were lots of women well before me into the company, years and years, especially you, Delia, uh, already, um, you know, holding up the flag for this and saying, we really got to do something. So I've never asked myself that question. I don't know that I have a good answer other than I was really annoyed when I came in. I was just really annoyed at seeing, you know, oh, we have 76 nations or whatever it was and 30% women. But then none of these people really found themselves in the higher management levels. And here's my sense of justice again. That does not seem right <laughs> um, and not good. And apart from social participation and that this should be a given for anyone anywhere, I just want where I work to be really successful. And I don't think we can be successful if we all look the same and we all think the same and we all are the same. So I volunteer distribute <laughs> a couple of weeks into probation and I didn't get fired. So I guess there was a lot Got of support. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, sorry. No, yeah, just speaking like about the, the time back then, um, we, we always knew that this is something that we want to invest into and that is important to us. But basically, we never really made it very explicit what we want to achieve and how we want to get there. And this is basically where Alex came in and really like kicked off basically a really, really good initiative to say like, okay, and this is exactly what we want to do and this is how we do it. Um, and I think this kind of like f driving force was really missing. Yeah, a well-articulated strategy with key targets yeah. is absolutely key. I remember Alex in the early days saying, if you don't have KPIs and you can't report it, it doesn't matter. And this is something, you know, former head of strategy hat and chief of staff hat that really resonated very deeply with me. So having targets that were explicit was amazing. Also to put in context the cultural milieu, finally we were getting a lot more buy-in from the senior management because what was happening at the time was Black Lives Matter movement, the Me Too movement. So we were having this real groundswell in, in popular and cultural opinion, which was the realization that we all need to be doing more as a collective and it shouldn't be born only on the shoulders of the people whom it most impacts. And I think this, this was something that was certainly new and wasn't there at the beginning of my tenure at Solaris. I think Dahlia would probably concur. And feeling this, this sort of, as I said, groundswell or ground shift, it made people sit up and take notice, which was, it, it meant that we could really carpe diem out, seize, seize the day out of it. So we really pushed it further. I mean, it sounds obvious. It almost sounds, you, you make it sound almost easy. Uh, and I like to think that there we have a diverse listenership. What kind of tips would you have for, because I think the whole idea from what I just understood for Tour was also to create within other companies a similar type of initiative and movement, right? To the listeners now, is there an, what would you say is the first thing you do if you want to get this going within your own company? Get yourself a Layla. <laughs> that is I don't know how companies <laughs> exist without her um, no for me it really was all about community so there are two there's, there are two ways of approaching this right there is one that is coming from the employees and there's one that's more coming from the company I would prefer the latter in reality it usually is the former yeah. and that doesn't work 
with one person. Thanks for giving me credit, but no, <laughs> I stand on the shoulders of a lot of people before me. And the first thing I did was not speak to the CEO. The first thing I did was to speak to all the senior women, two of them are here in this room, and to find out if there is even support within the peer group for this. And how do we best approach this? How do we make the best case? Because a case to a CEO is very different from a case you make to, I don't know, a head of HR or what have you. Um, so that's number one, find your community. Find your community so it is a lot of work. It sounds easy because we're now two years down the line and we don't remember the pains from the early days so well. <laughs> um, it wasn't easy and you can't do it alone. So first of all, you need a community that, that supports you. And second of all, I don't think we would have done this if we didn't feel that support, even if not explicitly given, was there from the management board. Like you have a feeling for your company and you know if this is something that lands, whether it's a, a women's initiative or an intersectional feminist initiative or a queer initiative or whatever you're trying to push, you will know if there's support or if there isn't. If there isn't, that's not to say you shouldn't do it, but you should prepare for a bumpier ride. Mm. Makes sense. So that community basically finds a similar type of diverse uh, community within the company that you can create buy-in with. You did that with uh, female leadership. Um, and from there, start building out and get buy-in from management board and then the rest of the company. Pretty much. And we, we've always been, it's going to be the wrong word, but we try to charm the CEO because in any company, that's who you need as your sponsor. It's nice if it's someone else. It's always good to have allies, but it really needs to be a top-down priority. So that's the person that you're doing this for. Don't build your decks. Don't build your storytelling around anyone else but the CEO. Understood. Great. So it, so Futura is built up on three main pillars, right? Awareness, attract, develop, and retain. Let's use this kind of as a base for a conversation, I'd say. But maybe uh, now, Alex and Leila, you both have left. What would you say are kind of learnings? Uh, if you look at it now, maybe, I guess because you've left, you maybe take a step back and it's easier to look at this a bit more critically. So the point was already alluded to by both Alex and myself. It really is a responsibility that needs to be borne by the company as well. It needs to be something that is put front and center as something that is imperative and central to the strategy and that the strategy can't move on without it as a foundational layer. I think whilst Futura is amazing, it needs to be a little bit further embedded within the company strategy and indeed anywhere, anywhere. So relying solely on the community to generate, whether it's um, events, resources, a knowledge base, that will happen naturally, of course, but you really need the company to, to show that community and the stakeholders in that community that they take it seriously too. So earmarking funding from the beginning of the year and saying that is your bucket, that's your pot, it's never going to be touched and that is yours to do with as you will to really create uh, and, and reinforce your community. So whether that's, uh, for example, employee employment um, attraction events, those things take a lot of time, a lot of money invested and a lot of the community is doing that as a side hustle to their everyday job because they believe in it so passionately. So 
can you bring in an external project manager to help you manage that whole process end to end? So you're then not relying also on, again, as I alluded to before, the burden of those who are most impacted carrying the responsibility. So allocating resources, allocating budget and allocating time to this topic and making sure whether it's something that is featured in the management board meeting. How are you recapping your quarterly goals? Are you taking a midsection with your quarterly goals and checking in with them? Are they part of the company goals? Are they front and center? You know, that these these things have to be absolutely central and that is pivotal to making it a success. So I think that's something that I take as a big learning. I certainly tried in my capacity as chief of staff with one foot in Futura and one foot uh, sitting in the management board. However, I think I could have done more and I aim to do more hereafter, for sure. Alex, anything to add there? So for Futura, our main pillars were attract, retain, develop. And I think that still makes a lot of sense. Now, looking back after two years, I would refine it a little bit to say develop and retain are really kind of part of the same bucket. Like you retain people by developing them, by giving them opportunity to advance. Um, So I would put that under the either develop or retain bucket. And I would say the biggest three pillars, if we were to start now, are report, attract, retain. Because like Leila said, it all comes down to data. And especially fintech, we have so much data on the partners, on the customers, on every single stupid transaction. But go ask um, a CEO, even ask the head of um, people in experience or HR about the makeup of the company and the structure who's going to be retiring in the next 20 years. How many percent of employees are you going to be losing to, you know, fluctuation or retirement in the next five years? Mm -hmm. What's your age markup? Not just how many women do you have, but how many do you have on each level? Stuff like that. Who's taking the um, maternity, paternity, parental leave is the right word. Uh, Who's taking the parental leave in the company? They don't know that data. And if you don't know the data, I don't know what you're going to be doing. Like, what are you going to be fucking out about? Like, um, for example, we steer any company, it doesn't have to be in the fintech space, by looking at data. Mm-hmm. It can be revenue, it can be return on shareholder investments, it can be on number of customers, number of cards opened for our um, business, but even something like customer satisfaction. And if we see a trend that we don't like, we fix it, we course correct, right? Uh, we identify trends, progress, even just benchmarking where we are. If you cannot do that with your population, with your workforce, then you are in a losing game. And it's not just women. It's also very important for me to say. Futura has been women in leadership, but it is a very intersectional network. So it has always had ties to the queer community. has always had ties into other dimensions of diversity. Um, so not just about women, it's about everyone else. And I, I actually did that experiment recently with a lot of HR leaders and they could tell me, you know, more data than a CEO for sure, mm-hmm. but they still didn't know how many people do we have in the top three levels of management, regardless of gender, ethnicity, whatever. And that's very interesting because if you don't track it, you don't care about it. 
are you allowed to track it? Like female or racial diversity is an obvious one, but sex diversity, maybe less so. so sexual preference, I mean. Uh, so that in Germany, of course, it's a hard no because, you know, data protection. <laughs> it's an optional thing. Um, but if you don't even ask, you won't know. True. And in a lot of companies, you don't have to directly ask, right? You don't have to ask someone's gender identity. Uh, well, I didn't, wouldn't recommend doing that <laughs> anyway. Um, but you will find out because... All you need to do is listen. Mm -hmm. Your employees will tell you what they need. There will be pride networks. There will be parent networks, caring networks. There will be women networks. The communities that exist within your workforce are already there. All you need to do is tap into those. That's the part that's actually really easy. Listening is easy. True. Yeah. What the obvious one that's missing for me from that uh, kind of pillar is awareness. Why is awareness not in there? <laughs> I think because we're focusing a lot on the networks themselves. And the networks tend to be quite aware. I think maybe it's a, it's the pillars for the remaining company. So if you're not part of that network, probably awareness isn't quite it for me. I think it's educate and empower. Mm. So you want to incentivize people demonstrating a behavior that you want to see replicated across the company, right? So for example, someone who's like, well, I really want to promote, maybe I need a team leader, I want to promote someone, but I want this to be really fair. I want my pipeline to be, you know, 50% men, 50% women. Ideally, we have some non-binary people in there, but let's keep it simple for today. Okay, so I want an equal gender split, but all I'm looking at is just men. So how can I find out about more women? Who can I talk to in this company to find out where the talent is? Someone demonstrates that behavior. That's what you want them to do more rather than always coming from a place of, you know, we now have quotas, which I think are necessary. But from a from a communication style, there's this thing, there's this thing. You need to sacrifice things so we can do this feel good diversity thing. That's usually not a very good strategy for internal comps yeah but educating people on why this is necessary not so much why it's a benefit i don't think we need to prove that diversity is a benefit but why it's necessary that we change our mindset on it and what we can do giving people tools and then empowering them is important so maybe for the company and for the network report attract retain and for the company overall report educate empower and I would I would maybe add to that that for me reporting is a form of raising the awareness. Mm -hmm. yes. Like yeah, I agree with, with that. the KPIs, with the reports on gender pay gap, um, mm -hmm. how many candidates of what gender do we get into the pipeline? How many of these hire do we hire? How many women are there in the different levels? Um, yep. How was our salary and promotion round the last time? You know, like how many men got a promotion compared to how many women and and so on. I think these things will also basically create the awareness um, itself because I would assume you can then really see where the like very f fundamental um, yeah differences already lie. Absolutely. And if you embed that into your company practices from the outset, you, speaking to Alex's point, you get people to role model mm. and, and role model those traits that we want to create diverse companies. And that's the most important piece, I think. Embedding, always yes. embedding. I feel, I'm just going to take a step back, apologies for doing so, but uh, to continue about awareness, I wasn't raised with the importance of diversity, for example. I don't think diversity has been around in my life as much as it has been now, as it's been in the past. And I still um, see myself having unconscious biases. 
And I feel that is what part of this awareness is about for those straight white males, including myself. There needs to be that awareness of, look, you do have unconscious biases. Unbi- unconscious biases, sorry. It's a difficult word. Um, difficult concept. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, so m- maybe further on from that, Leila, uh, question to you, kind of what's the impact of that, of those unconscious biases? I mean, it's it's throughout the whole pipeline that Taylor just walked through. So it's from when you are reviewing CVs, um, there might be a, a tiny little switch that is flipped in your brain right at the back that you are not even aware of that switches because you see a, a woman's name on that CV. It then filters down to the interviewing process, how I, I actually remember this very distinctively. I won't say where it's from, but we were hiring for a role. We had a female candidate and a male candidate. The female candidate was um, very nervous and the male candidate was very confident. And automatically as a result, the bias was towards the male candidate. However, it was quite clear from the substantive content of the female candidate's answers that she was more than capable of being able to A, do the job, understand and grasp the concepts that were necessary, but just was very nervous. Mm. And what that translated into is that the male candidate got the job. Mm. So it's these unconscious biases where you don't create space for how different genders will react in different environments if they don't um, exhibit the qualities and the traits that are deemed more desirable ergo more male, uh, then we discount them from certain processes. So recruitment is a huge one and actually it even starts before you get to the cv it's things like the job descriptions how are you writing them how are you advertising them you might turn off people before they've even got to an application stage because of the way that they're written magda and alex did an amazing video and we must link it to the to the text of the podcast um where they were basically uh, spoofing this this concept of you know we want you to be a rock star and and we want you to kill it and execute. And, you know, this language, I feel like we can phase it out. You know, we don't need it anymore. Let's let's create also more inclusive terminologies that aren't just speaking to a very thin section of society. So these unconscious biases crop up everywhere. Salary and promotion committee is a big one. Mm. Um, in all companies, I have seen that where the unconscious bias is to be harder on female candidates or female um, employees saying, well, they're not uh, confident enough. They haven't established themselves well enough in the role. I need them to prove themselves to me more that they're ready for the next um, level. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't think that that burden is placed, that same burden is placed on men. So these are the types of unconscious biases that really crop up and those ugly heads rear all over the place. And if you don't have some guardrails in place to really navigate that kind of behavior and and reel it in, Mm -hmm. you will very quickly see the gender divide creep up in your pay, in your levels, uh, in terms of your uh, distribution of male, female across levels. And it's, it's one thing that I think it's really important to say is it's not because of malintent. I do trust in the good intent of people. And I think that people have very good intentions, but we all have unconscious biases, the women in this room included, and we all have to work on them. So I think making sure that we have better processes in place, we can avoid that. 
assuming that unconscious biases are instilled in someone, right? It's very hard to eliminate them. Is it then, and this circles back to awareness, is it all about making people aware? Is that where it starts? How we can eliminate unconscious biases? I really feel like we did ourselves a disservice by calling it unconscious bias because now everyone kind of also hides behind it. Like, oh, it's unconscious bias. It stops being unconscious as soon as you start thinking about it. Um, And as soon as you start just doing a little bit of research, like it'll take you three minutes to know that every single person on this planet has unconscious bias. It's not a bad thing. It's a good starting point. But it also means you need to work on that. And there's no such thing as, well, I don't have it. Or, you know, I've I've done an unconscious bias workshop. I am cured. I am now super fair. Like, it's just the way that we are socialized. Going back to, you talked about CVs earlier. There's all these studies about the same kind of CVs, same content, same experience. You put a man's name on top of it. It gets more invitations to an, um, to an actual interview than if you put a woman's name on it. Exact same skill set, exact same roles. So clearly there is a structural gap, error, unconscious biases are just errors. They're they're errors and thoughts. And the good thing is you can work on them. It's not so hard, but you need to first be really honest about, well, that you have them. As a man and as a woman, we are actually socialized to have unconscious bias. And often it's the gender bias, even in us, even in all of us here in this room. And so I think it's one of the biggest misconceptions that, well, once you understood that you might have it, it's done, it's gone. (laughs) It's like a feather that just flies away in the wind (laughs) once you let go of it. Um, It is there. And the best thing to do is just to be very, very honest and be data driven. So is there a way that a decision can be made for you or a recommendation for a decision that doesn't involve opinions of people, but rather data and there's, when we go back to interviews and recruiting, there's lots of tools these days to do um, anonymous interviews, to do assessments that are done by an AI, which technically also has bias mm. built into it. But let's not go into that now. It's still better than what most of us come up with. And so it's about reducing the opportunity for bias to pop up. But I would say we're not even there yet. We're at the stage where people are like, yeah, well, unconscious bias exists, but only in other people. <laughs> I think it's good that there's technology for it. I do have to say my personal opinion, if I hear about technologies and I find it crazy to think that we need to use technology in order to eliminate our own biases. Mm. So we get better. The results, as I've said at the beginning of the podcast, clearly show that there's a good argument for having a diverse workforce, right? So why do we need technology? But again, that's maybe a whole down uh, a different podcast so we can talk <laughs> about this for an hour. Um, Alex, how do you think companies can address this topic on an ongoing basis? What do you uh, advise? Honesty, first of all. So it's, it's something a lot of people ask. They're like, well, how can we make our companies more diverse? And I now work in diversity consulting, right? So this is what I do every single day. Companies come to us and they say, well, we understand diversity, blah, blah. Cool trend. How do we get on that? <laughs> um, how do we become allies? How do we become supporters? I, I hate that question because before you become an ally, maybe you should First, become a little bit educated. There's no point in you, you know, uh, going out there with all kinds of flags <laughs> and, and telling people that I'm now a supporter of the queer community. I'm all for women in leadership when really you're not living that. So it starts with actually embedding whatever diversity value you have, whatever fairness or social justice value you have into the company DNA. Not as a nice value we print on the homepage. 
Oh, that's such a boomer thing to say. We print on the homepage <laughs> <laughs> that we put on homepage that we print in, in in flyers and stuff. But something that we actually live. So the first thing is before you go outward, look inward. What are our structures? Are we really being the fairest that we could? Do we really have good policies and procedures in place? And do people live them, or are they in place? But we constantly keep making exceptions for people, not in a good way. Um, once you've done that. I think that's where you can start with how do we actually really live this throughout the year and years? How is this not just a um, one-off thing? We're recording this podcast in May, so I'm already getting all kinds of requests for June. It's Pride Month. Mm. Only once a year do we actually see all those flags um, and a lot of the companies that start flying them. And that's not... It's nice, but it's really nothing. True. And so making it a company, a CEO priority, I keep saying that is the biggest, biggest thing. It needs to be measured and it needs to be incentivized on a balanced scorecard like any other company goal. Usually it's something like revenue or uh, something like growth. Uh, It's whatever. Sometimes it's profit. doesn't matter. But your diversity really needs to be in that. And one of the common misconceptions about diversity is also that it's something you need to work on. It's not. It's given. It exists in the world. It's the equity and inclusion part that we need to work on. Most companies are diverse-ish. Delia mm. <laughs> once said uh, when we looked at a photo of, I don't know, it was a management meeting of some company somewhere, lots of people, 20, 30 people, they were all men, they were all in suits. And she said, well, they all have different beard lengths, probably different star signs. And there's diversity everywhere. (laughs) Um, And so it comes back to this. If you are diverse, if you have a certain percentage of diversity, whatever that may be, but you don't see that reflected equally in your company, then you have a problem. So you need to report on it. You need to know your data. You need to hire the right people that hold up these values. And you first of all need to understand that diversity is not like a feel-good optional thing, a program that you cut once the budget cuts comes in. Um, And it's not separate from innovation and revenue. Someone said that to me last year, a senior leader said to me, like, you know, all this gender stuff, I get it. I'm kind of supportive, but I think we have bigger problems in this company right now. Uh, like our revenue, like our growth, our whatever. And I'm like, I don't think those are mutually exclusive. In fact, most studies tell us that they aren't. They go together. Diversity and innovation and strength in business go together. But that's not something that most companies have realized, embedded again into their culture. And so I think that was a lot of things. I don't know if that made any sense, but there's a lot of things to do before you start doing initiatives. And one of them is report, report, report. It's uncomfortable as heck. Even for us looking at the report is like, well, we're not where we want to be. But every quarter we still saw progress. So something was happening that we didn't even feel like we didn't notice. And we're so primed into this topic. We're so like aware of all the things. And if you'd asked me without the report, I would have been like, nah, I think it's gotten worse and it's gotten better. So Again, data, 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 report, 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 make sure everyone gets it. And if there are people that really, really reject it, maybe ask yourself if it's time to part ways. Diversity shouldn't become a marketing effort. It should really be be core of the company. And by reporting, you know where where you are, where there's progress, where you want to get to. In summary of what you just said. Thank you. That was a much better summary than all the words I just used. And again, it's not, to me, it doesn't feel like something that should be voluntary. 
Lele, you know this from all the investor talks. We're quite far behind here in Germany where we record this today. Um, but a lot of investors are looking for this. A lot of other markets in, in Europe are already doing much, much better when it comes to diversity, especially Spain and France. And so the pressure is going to increase. It's no longer a topic that you can ask yourself, well, do I have space for that? Do I have resources for that? This is something you need to do. I'll get to the why later because I feel like I talked a lot. But if you're not in the business of diversity yet, it's going to be really hard for you to have a future. Thank you for tuning in to the first part of In Check with Diversity in Fintech. If you like this episode, come back next week for the second part of this three-part series. And don't forget to rate our podcast as well as to follow us on your favorite podcast platform.